0: I don't know, you know, if, if, if you know someone truly humble, and obviously no one who's truly humble will ever say that they're truly humble. Hey, Dave. Um, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a strange thing about them that they, they have such a seriousness and also such a joy, the ones that I've known, and it's such a wonderful combination. Um, you know, I might might ask you a question like, do you think that Jesus is worth all of our praise? And Luke, you'd probably say yes. And if I said that Jesus is worth all of us, he's worth everything that we can possibly give him. Most of you, I know I always left us, most of you are Taylor students and you've been trained to say, well, yes, he can have all of us. And that's the right answer. Um, And it's, It's something that we might say, and even as we say it, we might know that there's stuff in our lives that doesn't actually meet that standard. And there might be things that we're kind of holding on to. Um, But as we talk about humility and what I'm gonna talk about tonight, which I've called different things over the last two weeks or three weeks, I've talked about shallow humility or false humility. And and this is really about religious pride as well, that these things are all fitting together. Really, really, what humility comes down to is our willingness to say, "Jesus, you really are worth everything." And Jesus, help me, where I fall short. Bring me deeper. Bring me deeper. Because our lives are going to be a constant journey. You know, none of us are going to die perfect. None of us are going to die perfectly holy, but we can get to know him better, and we can be more humble because of the glory that we've experienced in him. And it is a choice. It is something that we can seek. Now, Matt read um, the, the scripture from Philippians 2 that's guiding us, I'm not gonna read it again, but at the heart, obviously, of this whole series is that we are modeling ourselves on Christ. We're modeling ourselves in a tiny way on the one who gave up everything, who gave up all the glory that he had in heaven He gave it all up. He gave up his relationship with the Father to come and be a man and to die. He gave up far more than we ever will. And so as we press into this question, we're just saying, Jesus, help us model ourselves on you. Help us model ourselves on you. You're worthy. So a a couple of reminders, um, two of the ways I've defined it from Andrew Murray, that humility is the displacement of self By the enthronement of God, we'll put another way, real humility is the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. And that's so important as I go through tonight, because I'm I'm really going after what we do in the church, you know, I'm going after religious pride and fake humility. The more that we have a vision of Jesus, the easier it is to step into humanity. The more that we see him, and that might be in a vision, that could be in experiencing his physical presence, that could be in scripture, literally coming alive to us. But we see him. And we obviously, when we worship Jesus, we're not worshiping an idea, we're not worshiping a theology, we're worshiping a man, we're worshiping God, we're worshiping a person. Who wants to know us? Who wants to be in relationship with us? That's his desire. And the more that I've studied humility, the more that I've looked at it the last few months. And I said this two weeks ago. I'm, I'm increasingly convinced that this is the most important thing that we can try and get right. It is the soil out of which the fruit of the Spirit grows. It's the soil out of which relationship with God grows. And it challenges us. So listen to some words. I've, I've, I've read several scriptures over the last few weeks. So I wanted to, I'm just going to throw these at you, just smatterings. I want to just get the, the weight of Paul's words in the epistles. I've just chosen one from several of the epistles. So Paul says to the Romans, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. To the Corinthians, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. To the Galatians, For you were called to freedom, brothers, and you do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. To the Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We see our love and humility just flow together. To the Philippians, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. To the Colossians, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So if we want to model ourselves on on the epistles, if we want to follow Paul's writings and be obedient to scripture, this is something that he says over and over and over again. And he builds on Jesus's words and Jesus' example. And two weeks ago I talked about pride and scripture tells us that pride is the beginning of all sin, the beginning of evil. And pride is slippery and it's dangerous you know, and it's all around us, isn't it? It's all around us and it seems to be getting worse. We have so many more ways to amplify our pride and our arrogance and our hatred and our anger and all the things that go with the flesh, which go with what it means to be human. Um, and hopefully, as we become Christians and as we are filled with the Spirit of God, we increasingly see those things in our lives that are not humble, those things that are not of God, those things that are of the world, and we start to shed ourselves on the, of them. And the devil hates it when we get free. You know, because if we become free, and we become full of the spirit, then we're more likely to expand the kingdom of God. We're more likely to be a danger to him. But we're not that stupid to continue in the ways of the world. So what the enemy does is he helps us create a really nice way to be proud, but to make it look like it's good. And so we have have three ways that I want to talk about tonight. And I'm going to go through, through them quite quickly. And each of these might apply to us in different ways. You know your own story with God. Your own history, you know where your heart is today. Okay, so the first way um, is is the way of the Pharisee, and you know, often maybe you like me, and as soon as you hear the word Pharisee, you think you kind of switch off. Think, well, they're the really bad ones. I know I'm not as bad as them. They were Jews. I'm a Christian. I've got the Spirit. They didn't. You know, and we kind of disqualify them as an example for us. But unfortunately, they still exist. And that spirit of religion, the spirit of the Pharisee exists in the church. And Paul, Paul criticizes the spirit of religion as being a religion that has no power. It is a powerless religion. If that's his category, then we should be concerned. <laughs> but how many of our churches are religious pharisaical churches? Because they're Powerless. And so you know, you, you may have grown up in a home, you may have grown up in a church where you had very intellectual um, religious leaders who, who set up a religion where you didn't see God's power, but you saw rules and you saw regulations and you saw a system that was designed to control, to stop you sinning by controlling you. And honestly, those systems can be effective to a point. We all have the ability to follow rules and laws so they're effective to a point. But it's not the way Jesus wanted the church to be. Do you remember the words that Jesus used about the Pharisees? He talked about them being whitewashed tombs. The worst one, he Said that they were sons of hell. What does it mean to be a religious leader and to be supposedly the most holy person in the land and to be told that you're a son of Satan? Could Jesus have chosen a more harsh description? I don't think so. The the contrast between their opinion of themselves and how Jesus saw them is staggering. And I think he's doing it very intentionally because he wants us to see the danger of those who say that they're religious and they're holy, but they've lost sight actually of what God's heart is. And some of us might have grown up in homes like that. where All we knew was rules and regulations, and we never actually met Jesus. We were never actually free to meet him and to be loved by him. And these, these words are harsh, but Jesus meant them to be harsh, and we should be wary because religious pride kills. We have to be wary of any system where rules supersede relationship. And this is going to look different in different ways, but when we get the sense that men are worshipped above God, where the fruit of the Spirit does not exist, then that means that false humility is there. Joe showed me um, John Deere's, sorry, Jack Deere's book that he's reading. Um, And Jack Jack Deere says that religious pride is the most accepted sin in the church. The most accepted sin, which means there's others, but this is the most accepted, and I think it's the most dangerous. But we accept it because we can make it look good, can't we? We can make it look good. And as I said, maybe we don't think that we're as bad as the Pharisees, we haven't gone as far as them um, in terms of our pretense of our holiness, but maybe actually when we are Christians like that, we are actually worse because we should know better. We actually have the opportunity to know Christ. We have confessed our allegiance to him and yet, we sin in that way. And if we find ourselves in that sort of environment, I'm not gonna go on this for too long, but the first, and I think is pretty easy to see, the first way that that manifests is in pride and arrogance, in the leadership of the church, in the body of the church. And I think that's pretty easy to see. But the other way that it manifests is an obsession with sin. And a hopelessness that we will ever be free of it. Now, whatever I say, don't, don't think, hear me say sin isn't bad. Okay, obviously sin is bad, sin is serious, don't sin. Okay. But we're not called to obsess over our sin. We are called to obsess over Christ. And if there's any part of you that is hopeless about ever being free from a sin in your lives then you are believing a religious lie. You're not believing the truth of Christ, okay? Because no sin is greater than Jesus. And this is, this is one of the things I had to get through when, when I was thinking about humility, that to be humble is to not be focused on our sin. The very heart of humility, if you wanna summarize in a different way, is for us to be nothing, okay? Which means that we don't think about ourselves that we are not a factor in the equation. We will never convince ourselves into a place of humility by thinking about the things that we get wrong because we're only ever thinking about ourselves when we think about the things that we do wrong. Okay? You have to focus on Christ. And true humility then comes when you can say, I don't want sin in me. So I'm actually going to have the humility, I'm going to go to Joe. Joe. And I'm going to say, Joe, will you pray for me? And will you tell me if the Holy Spirit says there's anything in me that is not of him? And I lay myself before him as a brother and ask the Spirit to speak. And then I repent and I confess. But we will never walk our ways to humility by focusing on our sin. Okay, you won't get there. So stop it if you're doing that. Okay, and we're going to pray at the end and you have a chance to do that. Anyone or any church that focuses on sin, it is focusing on false humility. We need to focus on Jesus' full, redeeming, conquering love. Full and redeeming and conquering. Okay, so that's the first track, the Pharisee. The second is more subtle, it's the way of holiness which is basically like saying the first one, but it's more subtle, okay? It's more nuanced, which is probably applicable to many of us in this room because we are more nuanced (laughs) in the way that we sin. So um, Andrew Murray, whose name I've mentioned many times, I've mentioned this book for those who've been here. This is the little tiny book. Can you see how how small this book is? This book should not have, (coughs) it should humiliate me. Um, This book should not have intimidated me. But I got this book, and like I said, I, I looked at it for weeks. I couldn't even open the front cover. And then I read the back, and then it was several more weeks before I opened the front cover. But when I read the back, it made me dream of a freedom. That I knew exists in Christ, but I wasn't sure how to get there. And this might mean nothing to you, okay, but this speaks to so many of the things that I've fought in my life. This is what Murray says, humility is perfect quietness of heart. Who wants that? It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. That sounds like a good way to live, doesn't it? So, Andrew Murray was writing, he's South African, he's writing in the mid 19th century. So he's writing when the holiness movement that actually started almost every church in this area was started through the holiness movement. Um, he's in South Africa and he's going to conferences, I guess, by ship in those days. And he talks about writers of holiness and teachers of holiness and meetings of holiness and professors of holiness. This was consuming the church and it was good because men and women we were being drawn to being holy, to scripture, to breaking of sin. It was good. But then he says there is no pride so dangerous when he's talking about religious pride because there is none so subtle and insidious as the pride of holiness. And we can think of Paul's warning, warning to the Galatians here, that, that was started by the Spirit. Why are we trying to perfect it in the flesh? And so Murray, you know, you know the, the, the parable, just for time I won't read it, but the parable of the Pharisee and the sinner where they're praying together. Well, praying apart, but praying it in the synagogue together. And the the Pharisee says to the Lord, thank you that I'm not like that sinner and thank you that I'm forgiven. He only goes on and, and the sinner repents and the sinner recognizes his sin. And Jesus says that the sinner went away forgiven and the Pharisee did not. And what Mary says is that the more that we get holy, the more that we think we're holy, we're in these nice holy environments and we go to church and we do all the things we're supposed to do, That the enemy starts to try and work pride into us, and he becomes more and more subtle and more and more nuanced. But that there's always this Pharisee in us wanting to come out. We always have to be wary of the Pharisee. And the subtlest thing that he can say to us is just that little thought: Oh, I'm starting to get this right. I'm really getting this. I'm starting to become holy. And it starts as a little thought like that. And then it starts morphing into our actions and our doings. And pride starts to close penitence and praise. This is um, Isaiah 65. There's this incredible judgment, scary judgment of God. He's directing it to to many of the Israelites, those who've sinned against him. And there's this phrase in in Isaiah sixty five five, where God judges those who says to his neighbour, "Stand by thyself, for I am holier than thou." And again, you know, Maria, you've probably never said that to someone. You know, I hope. You know, we probably won't do that. But Mary says, you know what, we're just too sophisticated. We're not that stupid that we're going to stand on the street corner like those leaders and say, be by yourself, I am holier. Stay away and clean. And those who pursue holiness are too clever to do that, but it's the subtlety of the way that that starts to creep in. I was asking my family um, at lunchtime, I was saying I really wanted, uh, I wanted a way to offend all of you, but not in a way that would make you never come back um, or run out the door now, um, but to try and get those points across. That there are things that we expect, there's things that we want to see in church, there's things the way that we want things to be done. I was sitting in the bridge a few days ago and there was a group of Taylor students talking about scripture and they were arguing with each other. I went say which, which residence hall they were from. But um, they were arguing and arguing and arguing about who was right about the interpretation of scripture. And all I could feel was pride and arrogance and not a word of love and the spirit being spoken. It was so much about who was right and who could best interpret the word of the Lord. It was miserable. But, you know, I had a few ideas. One of my ideas, I was going to wear a suit. I actually do own one, okay? Um, And I was going to put on a suit, and you would all respect me more, wouldn't you, because I was wearing a suit? Yeah, you would. And uh, I was going to wear my suit during the Pharisaical church, but... And then when I got to this bit, I was going to strip off half my clothes—you know, that's the, the tie, the jacket—and then when I got through this section, I was going to take the shirt off, the pants off. Dorry, Dave, I'd have like rugby shorts on underneath or something. But um, just to see, you know, see if it would kind of shock you. Maybe some of you would leave. But you know, it doesn't matter what I wear. We had this argument at lunch about David dancing—you know, embarrassing himself but being willing to be humiliated in front of those who are of lowly birth and lowly station. And I thought, well, the other thing I could do, Finn, because you know this is really biblical, is I could pray in tongues, couldn't I, Finn? I could pray in tongues because it's biblical and I would then get an interpretation because I trust the Lord to give me one. And many of you would be really offended because tongues is no longer of the Lord or the Spirit, or I've heard so many things about tongues not being of all sorts of things, you know, and yet some people would be offended. I'm not going to do it because the Holy Spirit hasn't said I can yet, but I might at the end if he does, because I do try and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. What about when you're singing a song in chapel or in Kingdom Life and a phrase comes across that you're just not quite sure about? doesn't quite ring true to you I'm not sure if it's 100% scripturally accurate and your mouth closes and then for the next 25 minutes you're not worshiping anymore you're judging the worship team you're judging the person who wrote the song you're wondering why the pastor allowed that song to be sung and your pride is just flashing out of you I had this conversation with Trevor um, when was that Friday or sometime Trevor when we met and um, I've only ever done that once and I've been alive for 48 years I can't remember how many songs I sang when I was a baby but um, for decades I've only ever done that once and that was in a very high Anglican church where the, the, there was a verse which was worshipping Mary and I just wasn't comfortable with that that was a theology I'd, I'd never seen that before I was like mm, I'm not going to do that um, and maybe I was wrong maybe I was right but that's one moment. I'm not saying um, that we shouldn't be thinking Christians, okay, obviously. Um, I know I've heard stories from various people about, you know, and again speaking to the Taylor students here, but it's counts for again me or anyone who speaks in any church you go to, but someone will come and speak and they'll say something that you just don't like. And you could, you, you know, it might be a biblical thing, it, it might be a race thing, it might be a culture thing, it might be all sorts of things, but you hear this thing and you filter it through your own understanding, which is you and quite possibly your pride and my pride, and then you judge and then you don't listen to anything else they have to say. And literally the, the, the Christian I respect the most in the world. Is one of the most of, of, uh, offensive people that I've ever met, because she will call you out to your face, and she will sit you down prophetically if she has to, until your pride is broken. Horrible person to be around if you don't want to be broken. And the spirit speaks to her, and the spirit tells her the secrets of people's hearts. <laughs> that can be a bit scary. <laughs> Again, I'm not saying don't be thinking Christians. But our first call is to be humble Christians. To be broken Christians. To put away our own pride and put away our own filters. Let the Spirit be the only filter that we have. And don't claim, sorry, I know some of these words are strong. Don't claim that you have the Spirit filtering truth to you when you don't spend time with Him. Okay? Okay? Don't claim that. Spend time with him. Be in his presence. Have intimacy with Jesus. That's the one thing Jesus asks of us to know us, to have intimacy with us. Do that first, then call people to account. Because then you might be acting out of a place of humility and not a place of pride. Because remember, if you act out of pride, God rejects the proud. Don't mess with it. He rejects it, but he lifts up the humble. I told you this message would be fun. So, um, I promise we're gonna end well. I think it was my wife laughing in the background. So, (laughs) So, second way. Second thing, be wary of seeking human approval. Be wary of judging your brothers and sisters. Paul says this in Galatians, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Get before Him, spend time with Him. Let Him show you if pride has snuck in with this religious garb. That's the second way. So the third way, and I'll do this quickly, because it's the most obvious way. It's the right way. It's the way of the cross. Sometimes we refer to it as cruciform living. Sacrificial living. And we sacrifice ourselves on the altar. And that is us becoming nothing, that we are willing to be living sacrifices. When you are baptized, how many of you have been baptized? Oh good, okay, so you did this, didn't you? You chose to die. You literally chose to die. And Paul says you died and you were raised with Christ as you came out of the water. So you have chosen to do this. So let's be real and let's be honest and let's do it properly. Let's be living sacrifices. The walking, living, dead. Okay, so the way of the cross I've said quite a bit of this already so I'll I'll skim this but remember you cannot strive your way to humility but we can repent of pride and we can ask His Spirit to teach us and to bring us deeper and we can ask His Holy Spirit to introduce us increasingly to Him and I know a lot of what I've said tonight has been heavy and this whole series has been heavy and it's the weirdest thing because as I prepare for these sermons, I have such joy. And looking at your faces, there's such, no, there isn't. It's like, you guys are really looking miserable. But, okay, we, <laughs> they're really, it's, it's a strange thing. Um, they, you know, to be humble, to, to bow before Christ, to give up ourselves, it is painful. The flesh doesn't like it. The flesh doesn't want to give up. But the reality is that as we do this, it might feel painful, but it is a joy because what happens is as we give up the stuff, we meet Jesus, and we see more of him, and we get the greatest thing that this life actually has to offer us. Him, Jesus, he is a person. I'm not gonna ask you to, to show me, but if you, if you had your hands like a scale, At the moment, is Jesus an idea to you or is he actually a person? And if you're tired of this being more, the idea being more, and you want this to be more, then to be humble and to be crucified for Christ and to give up everything is the way to know him more. And I promise you, as you do this, it becomes easier and easier to give up because the reward is so beautiful. Professor Bill um, send me the scripture from John 17, verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, this is a scripture that we love. Just as you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. We ought to be as Christ. you know. In this church and in charismatic churches, we love that scripture. We can be like Christ, we can heal, we can see miracles, we can drive our demons, we can do those things that Jesus said. But what if all of that stuff actually is dependent on the very first thing that Jesus did, which was to be humble? What if that is the start? And Jesus says that he was set apart And he says in verse 19 that he has set us apart to be as he was in the world. So I I encourage us to keep seeking humility. There's so much more I want to say before you students leave. Um, Those of of us who are staying here are going to... (laughs) We're going to keep pressing in, people. It's going to be a lot of fun i promise (laughs) finally final thing before we pray let's remember that humility is a choice remember the story i told two weeks ago that even after everything jesus had did had done and taught and even after he washed the disciples feet the disciples still got this wrong they still argued about who was the greatest they still showed human pride and flesh the thing that changed them was the Spirit of God. Paul might have been one of the most arrogant men on the planet when Jesus died. And what changes him? Meeting Jesus on the, on the road to Damascus, but then also being prayed for by Ananias and actually encountering Jesus. You can't strive your way to humility, but we can ask. So can we do that? Let's pray together. And Matt's going to listen if there's anything else, okay. Um, Andrew Murray finishes his book with a, a really amazing prayer, the language is really old but I'm, so I'm paraphrasing it, but he prays this prayer, Father, Take out of me anything and everything that prevents your life and spirit flowing into me. Make me a vessel that can be inhabited by you. And some of us, if as I was talking through that first section, If you were raised in a home where your sin was focused on, where your mistakes were focused on, where there was the idea that to be accepted and loved that you had to get things right, would you take that memory, that feeling of being watched and judged and held to a standard that you never felt you could actually meet? you take that and would you give it to Jesus? Because I I say to you that that was not your Savior's way. And that was not His will and that was not Him. And that was not how He wanted you to know about Him. That was a system of men. And He rebukes it off you. He did not come to condemn, but to save. He did not come to condemn, but to know us, to know you. So Jesus, by your spirit, I ask would you, you, would you come into your sons and daughters who had that experience? I ask that you would move through their body and their mind and their spirit that you would take the pain of those years away and that spirit of religion that has harmed you and hurt you we rebuke in the name of Jesus and declare that those lies are not welcome anymore in your hearts in your minds but the peace of Jesus and the love of Jesus is your inheritance the forgiveness of Jesus is your inheritance and the Holy Spirit would you show us would you show us Lord if this? any way that religious pride has snuck into our hearts in our attitudes to others have we gossiped have we judged have we criticized because of some standard we have have we put ourselves above your command to love Jesus, would you forgive us for these things, Lord? We want to be a people that you can trust your spirit with, that you can trust your power with, and you, and you can move through. Lord, we repent for every way that we have allowed. A religious pride to seep into us and to come out of us. And we say that we don't want that anymore, Jesus. And. We can all pray this later on our own if we want to. Um, I just would like you to just think about this in your heart as I pray. But I've I've asked if if you're willing to choose humility and I'm also asking if you are willing to lay down pride. To literally see it as a thing that stops us accessing Jesus and to decide no more I must have him, I must have him. Jesus, forgive me, forgive us for our pride, for our self-focus, Forgive us where we've put ourselves above others and above you. We recognize pride as a sin, Lord Jesus, against you and against our Father in heaven. And we repent of it. And we receive your forgiveness. We receive the blood of the Lamb that washes us clean. We thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is complete, that you take our sins as far as the East is from the West, that they are gone. And Lord, I ask that you would you would give us the joy of knowing you more deeply. You would give us the joy that results from being in your presence, from knowing your spirit, from encountering your love. And I ask, Lord, for every one of your sons and daughters here as they go home or as they go on trips or whatever they're doing this summer, Jesus, would you introduce yourselves to them? in a new way would you draw us into you Lord would you draw us into humility Lord we claim the promise that you made that you and the Father you would come and you would make your home in us so Lord we we empty ourselves we ask you come make your home Come take up the space. We choose you over everything else. We love you, Jesus.